0: The Casket of Fictional Delights presents a selection of new flash fiction. The first in this selection is Lipstick in His Handbag, written by Joanna Sterling.
1: Is she dead? David, a plump, balding middle aged man wearing a tan coloured raincoat and holding a Tesco's carrier bag, asks, Are you sure? The care worker looks at David and with a well-practised, sympathetic half-smile and slight inclination of the head, replies, "'Yes, I'm sorry.' She slipped away peacefully about half an hour ago. "'I believe someone tried to ring you.' "'A message was left on my phone. I came as soon as I got it. "'You're sure she's dead? There's no doubt.' "'Would you like me to get you a cup of tea?' "'No!' No, I want to see her. Of course. You'd like to say goodbye. The care worker leads David along a carpeted corridor past prints of rural landscapes. At the door at the end he hesitates on the threshold of the room. Lying in the bed, eyes closed, is an old lady. Her white hair has been smoothed and she's wearing a salmon pink nightie buttoned up to the neck. David approaches, places the Tesco's bag on the end of the bed, and reaches into the bag, withdrawing a small mirror with a gilt handle. Walking to the head of the bed, he bends over, holding it close to the old lady's mouth. Yes, you're right. She's really dead. At last. Again from the Tesco's bag he withdraws a lipstick and, holding the mirror, paints his lips bright red. Finally, he takes out a black patent leather handbag, puts in the mirror and the lipstick and snaps it shut with a satisfying click. He takes off his raincoat, stuffs it in the Tesco's bag and hands it to the care worker. "'Could you get rid of this for me?' I won't be wearing it any more. He turns and leaves, swinging his hips and handbag in unison.
0: He took his Zimmer frame for a walk by Joanna Sterling. One of the wheels catches on a paving stone. The Zimmer frame lurches to the left into the gutter. Tom tugs to dislodge it, a discarded crisp packet entangling itself in the spokes. He found the Zimmer frame in a rubbish bin round the back of the hospital. He spent two hours cleaning it and tying ribbons around the handlebars. He's chosen lilac. It's Mary's favourite colour. They sent Mary home after two months with a promise from social services to call. They came once, but what with the cutbacks and all? It was left to Tom to look after Mary. Now Tom's taking matters into his own hands. Mary's not been out of the house for two months. They're going for a walk, their first walk together in four months, just like they used to before the accident. The car didn't stop, sped right through the red light. Mary was fortunate, just a fractured hip, leg and pelvis. The baby buggy didn't stand a chance, smashed straight into it, crushing the frame against the railings. All Mary could hear was the bip, bip, bip of the green man, telling her it was safe to cross, and the toy mobile hanging limply from the double buggy, still playing three blind mice. Yes, Mary was the lucky one. The Daily Commute by Joanna Sterling You are our daily companion. We stand, sway, jostle and lurch. We don't notice the views you provide as we hurtle past. Back gardens with paddling pools and washing lines. At the hub of the city you disgorge your reluctant cargo. Like ants we scurry to our offices. Returning hours later to our favourite carriage for the journey home. Friday by Joanna Sterling. In Samoa, they skipped Friday, 30th of December 2011. If I skipped Friday, I'd miss the day I go to work on the bus. My husband does the car on Fridays. He meets his mates after work. They go bowling. He does the driving. He doesn't drink these days. Taking the bus means I'm late, and then my boss moans. Well, truth be told, my boss moans most mornings and most afternoons. I leave work early on Fridays and catch a different bus into town. There's a little cafe at the end of the parade. In the winter, they serve toasted tea cakes and hot chocolate. Couldn't come if I had the car, it to park. Max'll be waiting for me. He comes every Friday. He walks to the cafe. He walks everywhere. We sit at the same table by the counter, away from the door and window. Max tells me about his week, his job at Poundland. He's lucky to have a job, really, given what he did. Max always brings me a packet of biscuits. Rich tea, Gary Baldi's, custard creams and for my birthday, chocolate digestives. When the cafe closes, I walk back along the parade to the bus stop calling in at the Tesco's Express for the weekend shopping. My husband never notices the biscuits are from Poundland. He's gluten intolerant. I wouldn't want to skip a Friday. <laughs>
1: The Blue Box by Joanna Sterling. The taxi draws up at an industrial blue box. Out of place in this country of mountains, clean air, and cuckoo clocks. We are greeted. They call themselves escorts. Not your usual kind. We are here to be processed. I am here to support, to bear witness. This is your choice. Oh, papers to sign, always papers to sign. I see you have bought your father's fountain pen. Blue-black ink flows freely from the nib. They ask, Are you sure? They need you to be sure. Down in one. Don't sip it, that's no good. This first to lay a resting place for the second. Then we wait. Now the hemlock. Again, down in one. Swiss chocolate to mask the taste. My mask must not slip. No fissures to show, yet. Praline is your choice. I sit beside you now stroke your hand. I remember when you held my hand across the road, picked me up when I fell off my bike, consoled me when my lover dumped me. This is my choice. The lid of the blue box is open now, your spirit free. You made your choice.
0: Trust's Lodger by Dawn Reeves Doubt follows me around the flat Humming like a faulty plug socket Always about to threaten a nasty shock It's clear we've become too close The choice of cereal takes up the morning Words run and hide whenever I pick up my pen Ums and ers abound Tension mounts when her boyfriend, fear starts staying over. I ask my friends for advice. Disapproval turns her nose up and shakes her head in reproach. How could you get yourself into this situation? Contempt wants me to evict out immediately. Apprehension isn't too sure. Distraction suggests a trip to the seaside. I like the idea of a cone of chips on the pier, but find myself in a quandary. Interest wants to know the basis of the tenancy. What did I say when doubt first moved in? I struggle to remember. She popped round now and again, but it was never meant to be permanent. When it all feels too much, I go to my parents for the weekend. Mum says I've got plenty of room and that I should try and understand why doubt has turned up now. My dad encourages me to tell her how I feel. Being the child of openness and honesty is irritating. I know they're right. It's time to square up to the situation. So I ask her to meet me for a drink. The pub is quiet, the atmosphere relaxed. I opt for the house red and I start to wonder if there's really a problem. Doubt is hesitant but loosens up when I remind her that I'll always be there for her. I just need some time to remember who I am.
1: UNRELIABLE by John Petheridge Once I had an affair with a princess. At the time I was homeless, sleeping rough in a cardboard hut in the bullring, at the end of Waterloo Bridge, where the IMAX cinema stands today. It was very late, early morning probably. The soup runs had long departed, and most of my fellow residents were asleep. I was pretty close to sleep myself when I opened my eyes and saw the Princess, her face wet with tears, moving between our miserable ovals. I crawled out and I introduced myself. She said, ''Oh, it's so awful. I'm so sorry.'' I asked her why she had come visiting at such a late hour. "'Things with my husband, the Prince, are pretty rotten, "'and I need to know what it will be like if he chucks me out. "'I have nowhere else to go.' "'I showed her where I slept. "'Can I come in and see what it would be like? "'You don't mind, do you?' "'When the first light of dawn appeared, "'she put on her clothes beneath the grey blanket which covered us, "'stood up and said— "'Darling, I promise I'll come to-night. "'You'll be here, won't you?' "'Then she bent down and gave me a final juicy kiss "'and departed in the direction of the palace. "'Night after night I lay awake waiting, "'but she didn't return. "'Then council workers appeared and began destroying our homes. "'They claimed our occasional fires were damaging the concrete.' But I know who sent them.
0: Toothpaste Tubes by Joanna Sterling. I squeeze out the last bit. "'Screw back the top and put the empty tube "'with the rest in the chest of drawers my parents bought us when we married. "'The first one I kept was from the hospital. "'You hadn't finished it. "'And nor did I. "'I tried a different brand once, but it didn't taste of you. "'Every month I arranged the empty tubes into different patterns. "'Once I made a face.' Its eyes stared back at me with tears of discarded toothpaste. Jack says I should toss them all away. He says chuck everything. Maybe next month. Miss Ellie Louise at the Diner by Joanna Sterling I knows he's a lookin' at me. I just knows he is, staring with that there green glass eye of his. Will him to go over and ask for some sugar to go in his foul-tasting coffee. Every time I takes a sip, I sees him smirkin'. He knows it tastes bitter, tastes a chicory. He came over an hour or so ago, wearing that cooking-fat, splattered apron of his, brought me a piece of his mother's homemade key lime pie. I knows how long it's been out under that there dusty glass dome. It was there last week. He leaned right close. I could smell his sweat. Can't have washed for a month. It must have been then he took my black glove. It was right there, on the counter next to me. I sees him put something into the front pocket of that there apron of his. Then he goes and slips both hands in and begins to fondle. Thinks I don't notice. I swear I hears a low moan. Disgusting. Mr. Edward wouldn't have allowed him to do that. Mr. Edward would have got sugar for his sugar. Mr. Edward was a real gentleman, Mr. Edward was. I'll just go right on sitting here and wait till a bus comes. One'll be along soon. I'll get the first one that's going in a town. It's not so late. I've not missed the last bus. No, siree, they keeps on going right through's the night. Don't they?
1: THE LAST STRAW BY JOANNA STERLING Eric held the present in his large hands, surprised at its weight. Not a scarf, then, he thought. He picked at the edge of the tape with his right index finger. As he did so, fragments of dried grime were dislodged from under his fingernail. Oh, give it here! Margaret grabbed the present. Eric noticed a trail of spittle dribbling down the side of her mouth. As he leant forward to wipe it away, he involuntarily wrinkled his nose at the smell emanating from her. She flayed her arms about, hitting the side of his cheek, and yelled, "'Stop fussing!' The present fell to the floor, dropping out its contents with a thud. "'See? It's an all-purpose gadget!' Eric picked up the hard, stainless-steel object, "'and began to fondle it as if it were a pet. "'Eric took his present and a mug of tea to his shed. "'He sat on the swivel stool he made "'at last year's advanced woodwork class "'and slowly turned round to survey his world. "'A jumble of every conceivable tool "'crammed into the small space. "'The all-purpose gadget lay on the workbench "'next to an ornate musical box.' "'He was repairing it for Joe next door. "'A fiddly job, but Eric didn't mind. "'He imagined returning the restored treasure. "'He would put on a clean ironed shirt. "'Joe always smelt of sandalwood. "'Eric walked back along the path "'and down the slope he'd built for Margaret's wheelchair. "'At the back door he took off his outdoor shoes.' "'Did you find somewhere to put your present?' Margaret yelled. "'Put the kettle on. I want a cup of tea.' "'In his stocking feet he walked silently up behind his wife's wheelchair "'and in one swift movement passed the penknife blade "'from the all-purpose gadget across her throat. "'He looked down at the crimson stain on the stainless steel blade. "'He wiped the blade clean on the back of Margaret's grey cardigan.' "'and snapped the blade back. "'He'd asked Joe round for a cup of tea. "'They'd have it in his shed. "'On his way to the kitchen, "'Eric dropped the new all-purpose gadget back into its box "'and into the charity carrier bag under the stairs.'
0: Line by Joanna Sterling. I stand at the apex of the time, one foot in each hemisphere. This narrow piece of metal divides the world, east and west, rich and poor, the liberated and the repressed, the haves and have-nots. Every time I visit Greenwich Park, I stand on this spot. As a child, I came with Dad. He held my hand, then I came with my lover, we held hands. Then I came with my son, I held his hand, and now I come with his son. The meridian marks time, the world's time, and my lifetime. This selection of new flash fiction was written by Joanna Sterling, John Petherbridge, and Dawn Reeves, and read by Keith Morris and Mena Bonsells. Don't forget to download next month's storycast from the Casket of Fictional Delights at thecasket.co.uk, where you can find more flash fiction and short stories.